Are you a believer in good? Do you love it when the good guy wins in the end? Then Charity Matters is just the place for you where modern day heroes overcome incredible obstacles to save the day with their amazing work. Welcome to season five of the Charity Matters podcast. I'm Heidi Johnson, nonprofit founder, lifelong helper, and your host. I've been interviewing the helpers for over a decade with our blog, and I'm so excited to be sharing these inspiring conversations with our podcast. Join me as we learn the challenges and stories of innovators, entrepreneurs, and modern day heroes who set out to solve the problems of humanity. Have you ever thought of the power that a story has to change someone's mind? Today's guest is no stranger to this fact. Nicole Smith is the founder of the Dignity Defense Institute, and I'm so excited to share her amazing journey and our inspiring conversation. You're not gonna wanna miss this. I'm so excited to have Nicole Smith with us today at the Dignity Defense Institute. Welcome, Nicole, thank you for being here. Yeah, thanks so much for having me on. We're so excited to have you. So let's just dive right in this morning. What, talk to us about what the Dignity Defense Institute does. Yes. Um, So in order to really kind of paint the picture of what we do missionally, it's kind of important to almost kind of get my background um, to understand the purpose behind it. But if we want to just start with the mission. Yeah, let's just start with the mission and then we'll go to the backstory because the backstory is is going to be a little meatier. Let's just get right into that. So so essentially uh, our primary focus is on educating on the foundation of human value in order to transform culture so that the offenses that we see within culture across the world typically is found within this idea that we can measure human value by another criteria other than simply being human. So if we were to educate culture on the inherent value of the human person, we change the course of offenses against uh, the human person. So injustices we see within culture um, will diminish, essentially. Okay, cool. Very cool. So tell me, did you grow up with a really like philanthropic family? Did you grow up volunteering? Yeah, actually, um, yes. My my father by trade was an entrepreneur and inventor. Um, But by service, they were youth ministers and college and career ministers that founded churches across um, part of the U.S., yeah. Wow. And uh, yeah, so I grew up with a lot of at-risk youth in our home. We, my mom was a counselor for juvenile juvenile detention center for girls in our community. Uh, so yeah, an exposure to a world beyond just the four walls of our home that was very wow. instrumental in forming what I I would do in the future. I think so. Wow, that's so. I love hearing how people find service and how service finds people. And uh-huh. so often it's what's modeled in the home. And so Absolutely. often it's what, I mean, of course it makes sense, right? Yeah. Um, good and bad behaviors are, are what we pick up, but um, it's just always so inspiring to me. And I think it's important just for parents who are listening to hear yeah. that when they're doing something, they don't realize that those little sponges are, um, are mimicking that. And, and it, they may not see it right away, but it does. Yeah. Well, and it, it does. Tra- it's, it was kind of this idea in the home, you know, if someone needed help, you get up and do it. And it so much so that my brother, um, it, it's just an impulse. Like you wouldn't even 
think to do anything but help because that's just right. what we always did. And, right. Because um, that's all you know. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, I mean, it has its bad sides too. Sometimes sometimes you can be sort of over, over utilized because people understand right. that. About people you, but... realize that right, you're, you're identified as a helper, helper yeah. slash doer, which yeah. means if there's something to be done, we know who to call. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. So, it definitely is a double-edged sword. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I, I walk this walk. I, I get this. I get this yeah, routine. Yeah. So, um, you know, people, I always say this, you people, when they're young, they say, when I grow up, I want to be X, Y, Z and nonprofit founder is just really not, never has made the top 10 of anyone that I have met in my conversations. So there is a journey, a backstory that you alluded to earlier. Everybody has one that leads us down this path. Obviously your family was really philanthropic and, um, and so that was part of it. Tell us like the moment that you knew that you needed to do this. You needed to start the Dignity Defense Institute. What what happened? What's the story that led to this? Because you don't just wake up and start a business. Yes. Like so, um, you know, as a child, I was always sort of um, governmentally minded. So like I was aware of what was going on in culture at a very young age. My parents always sort of thought it was sort of strange because they weren't really oriented in that way. And I just always seemed to like be aware. Right. Right. Um, and so I grew up and I got a undergraduate in political science and a master's in law and public public policy with the intention of going forth being an attorney or something in the public space. Right. Um, but I ended up sort of landing on the communication side of the public policy world. It wasn't intentional, but it, I graduated during the recession and um, attorneys were a dime a dozen. So I sort of took a different track, right? So uh, I ended right. up getting a job at a constitutional law firm controlling their communication. And we uh, called it the court of public opinion. So we had a lot of affiliates across the world in which we would advocate on their behalf for different different um, cases. Okay, so like an example would be uh, a child bride of Uganda or a sex slave of Afghanistan. We did a lot of cases of imprisoned imprisoned um, religious minorities, Turkey, Sudan, like Iran. We did a lot of wow. different varying cases. Um, so it's it's good to note this sort of buildup because. I, I, I saw a lot of success. Let's just say that. So, oh, that's great. It's going to say, I was going to say the opposite. I was going to, I was thinking and hearing this, you saw a lot of trauma and you saw a lot of pain and you so saw it, a lot of yes. the worst of humanity. I, I did. did not expect the word success to end that sentence at all. Yeah. So I would say a convergence of pain with, with justice, like, I, I was going into places in the world in which justice wasn't often seen. So if you were going to go into Iran, uh, it, justice is not what you would come out of the court systems finding. Mm-hmm. So we would go to the court of public opinion. We had one of the cases where um, he was he was a joint American-Iranian citizen, but uh, we advocated on his behalf. We got over a million signatures on his behalf. Obama included him on his Iranian deal. Wow. So we, uh, another one out of Sudan, um, Angelina Jolie became a part of her case, including the Pope. And she was released. She's in the United States now too. So 
That's what I mean by success in the sense of there was you move justice. the needle, right? You move the needle. You you and through communication and gathering people and bringing a point or a problem to people's attention, you were able to impact change. That's really cool. Yeah, it was it was an interest. I mean, <laughs> like just did never imagined being in that space, right? And having that sort of influence in a positive way. But I often got this question throughout the years. I I uh, I specialize in the sale of ideas, right? So it's in, right. intrinsically different than the sale of things. Uh, I got a lot of people coming to me wanting to take on their causes, that kind of stuff. So it it was it was lovely in that sense. I I got more and more experience in this space. That, but often people would ask me, um, how does this weigh on your heart? Like. This is, this right. is really hard to handle knowing and the suffering. The, yeah. And I said, it, it is very weighing. And over the years, it got heavier and heavier and heavier because I got the sense of, I wasn't really doing anything to change the tide. Right. I got to take one little girl that had been, uh, her innocence had been stripped from her and sold into marriage. And I got to buy back her dowry and I got to put her back into an education system. But the problem was, is that there's another little girl right behind her on her heels, right behind her, right? It's the starfish on the beach. It's the, I just saved one, but, and it feels like, but you look around and there's, there's the beach is full of them. And, and do you make a difference by just saving that one? And I think that the hardest thing for nonprofit founders or one of them um, being a helper, whatever you want to call us, maybe all of the above is that moment when you realize you can't save them all yes. and, and it is, it is, we start out thinking we're only going to help one and then we want to help more and more. Sure. And then, and then we realize we can only help what we can help. And it's a really hard, um, it's a hard cross to bear. I think yeah. is really the, because we have, to your point, you have a little girl you think about every night that you couldn't help. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's, 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 it's that conundrum, but, but it's better helping what, who we can than not helping at all. Yeah. So two, two other events sort of happened. The first event, I sort of had one of those epiphany moments where, you know, God holds you up and you're just walking around your house in prayer and trying to, to seek out answers for yourself and trying to wait. And I just kept crying out to God going, okay, like, how do I, there's so many issues to tackle. Like I want Mm -hmm. to do, I want to hold each little girl's hand and I want to, I want to make, make a real difference. And he just told me that, um, it's not that we have a lot of issues. We have one issue only, and it's my image is beyond valuable. And we, as human people, just by consequence of being human alone, hold intrinsic value that must be protected. And within culture, you know, the Sudanese uh, culture versus the Indian culture versus American culture, we all do the same thing, you know, the same root cause is that we devalue human, uh, the human person, and that way we can create offenses against them. Um, It's just different, you know, culture is going to interpret the same thing. So it was just one of these like, oh my goodness, like, you're right. There is one only issue. And if you were to, to have culture understand that you cannot damage the human, human value, you cannot right. take, create offenses against them. 
you know, of course you're never going to, because it's humanity, they're never going to be wholly just, but to transform those culture, you kind of stem that tie that does the need for it. And so So you're, so you're in the, forgive me for interrupting, but so you're in sense taking, it's almost that you're taking on the continuation of the work you were doing mm -hmm. before on a a foundation, on a different, on a different level. Yes. But it's still similar work using your communication skills Mm -hmm. to help bring attention to inhumane acts or unkindnesses or situations or problems around the globe. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, that drove me to found Dignity Defense Institute, uh, but I was further emboldened. Uh, so this was like 2020, January, you know, I, I, <laughs> what a difference that was, right? <laughs> yeah. I was like, oh my goodness. Like in January, I go to DC to sort of launch this concept with a group of individuals. And then I say, I like step off the plane square into a global pandemic. <laughs> right. yeah. It was it was interesting to watch the the world at that time. And also by consequence, I was pregnant with my second little daughter um, and she would be born uh, in distress and sustain brain injury during that mm-hmm. process. And she now has cerebral palsy as a result. And I, and how old is she now? She's little, right? She's, she's, three. she's three. She just turned three. So She's still nonverbal and she's still uh, still not walking, uh, but it's one of those things that she'll see the both sides of visible and invisible um, disabilities in her life. Um, she's come a really long way, um, but it, it was, I mentioned her birth because I say it's when the mission be, was given flesh and bone in our life. Right. So I had helped these little girls across the world and I could never hug them. I could never you know, give them a kiss until they were special, like right. they deserved. But now I could do that to my own daughter mm. uh, in a really meaningful way. And, and so, you know, our mission uh, is, is very whole person centric. So we uh, base our, our organization around action committees. So these action com- committees are in all the different, what we call symptom industries. So uh, trafficking, disability community, um, foreign culture, drug culture. Uh, those are different like aff- affronts to the human person. They're all really interconnected. And the thing that I feel like is so important to, to being centered around these action committees, we fill them with experts that both have professional experiences, right, but also personal experiences. So like one of our human trafficking is headed up by someone that was raised in the sex industry, but she's also a mental health counselor. Um, we, and all of our industries are like that. So uh, disability community, obviously right. I, we're a part of it. And the, it's head up by um, the head of DIDD and the state of Tennessee, which his daughter also has disabilities as well. So we want it, we want to people to understand that they're important and loved and seen because we know what you're going through too. So do you try to get a um, a story, a person, a, and I'm not saying like a poster child because there's thousands <laughs> of children that are trafficked and there's yes. thousands of people in the drug culture. I mean, you could like the starfish on the beach, you could pick, yeah. but do you try to find that story per the Angelina Jolie, you know, little girl story, find a 
story and then build around that story to bring yeah. attention? Is that kind of the strategy? Yes. And, and the biggest part of it, obviously we want to see that, that, that people understand the experiential aspects means that it's real within culture. <laughs> like it's actually happening today right. uh, because a lot of times, especially in America, Western culture, we're really sort of um, unaware. Like we keep ourselves unaware. We feel like we know, but that we don't. <laughs> so, right. so what's happening? Well, storytelling is, is so powerful. And when you think about nonprofits, I mean, we don't have a product that we sell. Yes. We are, to your point of selling ideas, we are selling, sharing visions and stories of real people that are suffering that need yes. help. To and, translate it in a meaningful way. Into that, action, to create action from the story. And I think that the fine line we walk in our business, I'm, for example, I'm a trustee at Children's Hospital Los Angeles. And, um, and I've been involved with CHLA for for over 20 years, um, started a nonprofit there actually to provide chaplains of all faiths for families. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, but we, when we were trying to, when we try to tell those stories, it's such a fine line of you're not, you never want to exploit. You never want to cross this line. Oh, you, exactly. right. But so there's a, there's that razor thin line in sharing yes. a story about a sick child, for example, who went home after oh. an incredible surgery and is healthy or, or whatever oh, yeah. happened or had an, or I, had an amazing we experience. Call it, so, I always called it selling dead babies. That's, that's what it yeah. is. Yeah. And, 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 mm-hmm. but it's, but there's, there's a, there's, there's something to me. It's not that like to me, yeah. <laughs> the, the point at which you go to the other side is like, you're, you're, you, you're you just much. can't cross that line. <laughs> yes. There's such a, Anyone who does this work, no matter what cause you stand behind, you know that line, like you know, like it is a, mm-hmm. like you know when you hit it and you cannot cross it because yeah. there is a point. And obviously, in your partnership with these families, we support and tell their stories. Yes. But in your line of work, when you're dealing with different cultures and there's the line still exists. Yes. Yes. But I think it's, it's, it's it, I'm just fascinated. It's different, right? Yeah. Well, so a good example, we actually, one of the stories we've told is my daughter's story. And really it's to pose the concept of um, what's the inherent value of the human person? Is it an a meeting of an expectation? So do we place value on our child based off them meeting our expectations? So for her, she was totally normal up until the point of her birth. She basically died on the table and was resuscitated. And uh, there are laws going into effect or at least being proposed on the state level that would allow doctors to advise to not resuscitate her because they make a theory on what the outcome is in that moment that would uh, mean that my child will have disabilities and her life won't have the same value because life might be challenging or difficult. Right. And so we put into to challenge a person's value based off of this idea of unmet expectations or perhaps uh, expectations of potential struggle. And so really to kind of ask that question, you know, what is her value? Is it is it does it ride on her meeting those expectations or, um, you know, just to, to almost get culture or people that uh, ability to ask those questions and then think through them themselves 
just right. by Put themselves in your shoes as a mother yes. and a parent. W- yeah. What is the other side of this? Rather than hearing the news, the statistics that yes. here's a real story, here's a real family, here's a real well, situation. And and the idea too that like my experience is you have a physician telling you the potential outcome. And the reality is they don't know. They right. absolutely don't, but they tell right. you they do. And you know, like in the hospital systems, like I, I get, it's very liability oriented. They don't right. want to. Well, everything in the United States is. Right I, if, if I, I mean, if I could tell you the full story rounding, like how much our story was tied to the fear of the liability that we posed to the system, it was just really very disheartening. Yeah, and I don't um, imagine. Yeah. And so this idea, like she'll never walk, she'll never talk and I can't, um, or she'll never do this or that or whatever. And she's been able to surmount those things. And if I just, if we were to somebody that just listens in that moment, because I've actually had families, um, uh, a child was born similar to my daughter and, uh, they lived in uh, Colorado and they did propose death by medical neglect. So essentially they allow them to just be put into a facility in the hospital and they just stop caring for them. So they'll die now. Oh my God. I've never heard of that before. Yeah. Wow. And so those, those are the up to, um, 30, 28 days after birth. Some of the legislation has been proposed. Um, and this is in Colorado. This child was born before these le- pieces of legislation are being being like proposed in the system. So it's actually happening, but they, they want to protect themselves legally that that's why they want to pass in the law. So anyway, yeah, that's a whole can of worms that I don't think I I want to open right now, but But, but but to ask those questions, like, and to bring up the fact that injustices kind of are happening and to, to, to be more provoking, like to, to, to come to those conclusions on your own, instead of just taking what you're told about stuff, right? Because we, people are experiencing this and you don't know it is. And again, the media is like, not always telling us all the right. It's making you think. So, mm-hmm. so speaking of challenges, which obviously you you face as a mother, um, we all face challenges as parents. But Amen. you have additional. There's no mother on this. There's no parents on this planet don't have challenges. Not oh, yeah. a one. Yeah. At least I've never met one. Yeah. Um, and uh, and I say this is kind of not the end of my finish line, but celebrating my son's college graduation next weekend. Oh, yeah. Feeling like my, my last son, my third son. So it feels like a milestone. Like I'm, I'm running through like the tape, right? It feels yeah. like this moment. Now you're about to um, get a raise. You're about I'm to get a raise. feeling like a raise is in my future. I'm not yes. sure, but I'm feeling that way. I'm feeling cautiously mm-hmm. optimistic. Yeah. Um, but as for challenges, as starting a, a nonprofit, starting an organization, you're obviously a parent, you're a parent of a child that has, you know, significant, you know, needs in addition to your, your daughter, both your kids, you still have laundry, you still have dishes and you're trying to save the world. And, yeah. and, and it's hard, it's hard. So talk oh, to me yeah. about like what fuels you to keep doing this when those days you think, I, I don't know if I can, if I can, like help somebody else. I can barely help myself. Yes. Um, what fuels you to keep doing this work? So I think maybe as mothers, I mean, obviously I'm not a dad, so I can't really speak to like the introspective portions of those experiences. Um, the COVID made our journey with my youngest, very, very lonely. And it made it very introspective on a level that, um, I don't think 
it would have been so much so. And I, I've learned a lot of lessons throughout that process just because of the deep introspection that I got by the consequence of just what society and culture was doing at the time. Right. And we'll get was, to life lessons at the end, but yeah. But, but to to take those moments in stride and take your victories and and your fear failures in stride because it's going right. to happen. And to, right. to be patient with that process has been that that's what this last three has been years have been for it organizationally, but those lessons have, have gone over into the organization, but it's gone over into my uh, motherhood too. It's been very a joint, joint process of overflow. <laughs> well, and it's just when we, you know, we're moms, our lives without our work are already very full. Yes. And then there, and then you add trying to help other people's lives mm-hmm. makes it, um, you know, I, when I started spiritual care, my kids were, I think maybe 19 oh, yeah. months, maybe four and maybe six. They were little, they thought, yes. they thought I was the president of children's hospital. They, <laughs> they, <laughs> they had no idea. It. Um, and I was doing it as a volunteer, right. And I was doing it as a volunteer. I was, there was no, no income associated with this, uh with starting this. Um, and I remember, I remember, I mean, I had, you know, two in diapers or one in diapers at least Mm -hmm. and, and running, starting a nonprofit and, and thinking, have I, have I lost my mind? Am I crazy? Like, am I, what's wrong with me? And part of, I think even charity matters, which ultimately came out of this was trying to find my people. Yeah. You talk about being alone, you know, during COVID, you want to find your tribe, right? And I'm like, who are these crazy people who start nonprofits? I know. What's wrong I with them? Who are I they? I think it's a breed, right? So I, I thought about this a lot too throughout the last three years is like, uh, I, I would be like lost if I didn't, right? Like I, I'm a better well, mom because, yeah, I'm a better mom because I do this because right. I can, I can you know, that, that cross purpose that I can, my brain needs something more than just laundry. Right. Right. And those are very important components to life. But if I just had to look forward to laundry every day, right. I don't know if I would survive it. You know, Right. Right. And you walking and like your parents did before you, they Mm -hmm. showed you what it is to be a human and the human experience to care and love for other people besides your children and yourself. And, and that this is part of our, this is why we're here to serve yes. each other and, 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 and you're doing the children yeah, to, to do the same that your parents did for yeah. you that you're mm-hmm. doing for them. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I always say, you know, the bucket, the bucket is heavy and, uh, and there's yeah. some days you just think, how am I going to pick this, this, this bucket up? So talk mm-hmm. to me about successes. Talk to me about impact. You know, when you're in communications and a storyteller, are you measuring impact by eyeballs? Are you measuring by Instagram are you measuring by what metrics are you measuring impact? And I also would say impact is, is twofold because impact, I have a, it's, there's two sides to impact. Impact is, um, yes, you freed this child from prison or whatever. And you had a result with this, this child, because you, you told the story and got the people to drive to make a change, but, but then the impact, how do you measure that that child is free? How do you measure the impact of that child's 
going on having a productive life and, you know, and having this, how do you measure yes. that? So, so I'm just yeah. curious how you would measure impact for dignity defense. Yeah. Well, um, so, so even just going back as far as I have with any of the cases that I've taken on from the beginning of my career, it was, you know, obviously you're in this, uh, buildup of a campaign that the end result is off obviously freedom from their circumstance, but you're right. It, the point of freedom is not always the end result. It's just what you're doing within that campaign. So I call it the short-term and the long-term goal. <laughs> you have to be focused on that short term because that's the climax, the, the shift in perspective of the impact for that individual. Um, and then to be patient enough for what that long-term goal is beyond it is really important. So just from the concept of what we're doing at Dignity Defense is that uh, a lot of times you have to make short-term changes in which you won't, uh, we can't be so patient, impatient that we don't have long-term goals too, because it takes time to change culture. And so right. you're not going to, it's not going to just be like overnight. Um, so we have to look at those metrics internally of the impact that we're having with, um, I say the epiphany point where the un individual that you you speak to gets it. I can't tell you the rewarding feature of that, um, where the light goes on their eyes. Oh my goodness, you're right. You know, right. our culture does do this, this, and this because, well, technically it's the same principle as slavery. You know, we, yeah, we kind of make that a thing of the past, but you know, like human trafficking is thriving in our communities. It's because yeah. it's invisible, these things that they don't see and they put their head in the sands uh, over and and that that alone, that understanding alone is the start of that change. That's our short term. And our long-term result is that culture does change. And we do have, you know, our idea is like to, to unify and amplify all of the dignity community. So the, the charities that you're speaking about and the ones that are taking action, we want to make their job easier. Right. <laughs> you know, uh, the idea of shifting culture. Well, I have a list for you. I have. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. And so we want to almost partner. I think it's because all the years I've worked with nonprofits as a consultant and the communications right. and like brand building, I realize how many nonprofits just really want to meet the people that they mean to serve, but sometimes they don't have the resources for it. So right. sometimes like, Hey, you know, if we can come to dignity defense and they they'll be that funnel for us, they'll, they'll be able to find the individuals we need to serve. And they'll be, they'll be able to tell the stories about the people we serve and they'll be a great resource for nonprofits as well. So, um, yeah, that, that's, that's kind great. Of well, nonprofits obviously need all the help they can get. Oh yeah. Yeah. No, I get it. And you're, <laughs> and you're, and you are one. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And I'm trying, I'm trying to like shine a little light on, on all these, You're doing a great, great all job. these, thank you. All these beautiful souls doing good work. I'm like, if I can just help the helpers, then I can exponentially help more people. That's, <laughs> that's my strategy. So I'm just trying to like shine a light See, on all You're of you. doing the same thing that, that we're trying to do is it's a foundational portion. You're getting before the discussion about all of these things and really exacting change for for the individuals that are impacted, you know, it's a good thing. Oh, I never thought about that, but thank yeah. you. I appreciate that, Nicole. <laughs> <laughs> so if you could dream any dream for dignity of defense, what would, what would that look like? Oh my gosh. So uh, obviously um, increase our reach. Obviously we want to, to, to have a greater 
reach within our communities so that we can really creatively educate, you know, through stories, but through just really thought-provoking ideas of questions posing. Um, that That's a big dream is just the growth um, uh, and influence because that's how we educate, right? So right. More people. Right. Um, but also to have more of those stories of victory, you know, because we are getting a lot of those stories coming in at like, like my daughters, but we've had a lot of different types of stories of drug addiction and trafficking and, you know, people that have, have had their climax moment and they're on the other side of it and they're living their new normal, right? Because right. it's not the same as it was before, but it right. is their new normal and it's a journey until we pass to the other side. <laughs> I love that. Well, I love, I mean, I'm a storyteller and I love Mm. telling stories. So I love that you are bringing stories together to share the power that they have to change, to change people's ideas and to ultimately change the world. I mean, that's, Mm -hmm. I think it's so important. So what you mentioned earlier, some lessons you were learning during COVID, but talk to me about just some life lessons you've learned from this experience of starting Dignity Defense. What what life lessons have you learned on this journey since I guess 2020? And they and obviously some of them come from just being a mom and all the light, all the yeah. lessons you're learning through that, which is your story is part of the dignity defense's story. So so what are those lessons that you can share with us? Yeah. So one I would say is that not everyone is going to get it. Not everyone is going to care. And right. that's okay. They're not meant to. Because we're all we all have our own calling, and sometimes your 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 mission is not their mission, right? And so when you come into a, a donor meeting, or you come into just you know a room full of people that you speak and try to convey this 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 important mission, and a lot of them come, you know, maybe some of them come away just not caring or not getting it. Not it's because they're not right. your people. They're not your people. Right. And not to take that hard because they're not supposed yeah. to be. Yeah. Right. Um, I think that's tough. I agree with that. I think that that's a hard, when we care so passionately about something, we we think everyone's going to care passionately about it. And that yeah, isn't yeah. necessarily always the case. Yeah. And you get that. Cool. 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 Bye. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Good for you. Move it on. <laughs> yeah. And, 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 and you, and I think that you're right in understanding and respecting that everybody has a different a different path and different things they care about and different journeys that led them to care about, you know, they had a grandmother that had breast cancer and that's yeah. all of a sudden some, that's what they care about. And yeah, yeah. they experience this and they care about that. That's what we have 1.6 million nonprofits because there's yeah. so many, there's, there's so missions. many missions and things we, that, you know, that we have to all go through to we pick our projects. And I, and I'll, I'll again, like the overflow into motherhood, that was an epiphany I had in my twenties that I just used to take to heart so much what people would feel about me as a person. And I would think there was something wrong with me. And I had this epiphany, like sometimes I'm not someone's cup of tea and there's nothing wrong with that person. And there's right. nothing wrong with me. Dating, it's just not, right. we're not meant for each other, right. right? even as friends. And I try to teach my daughters that because it's a very transformative, freeing feeling, even in business, like we're talking about coming right. in. And if somebody walks away, there's nothing wrong with you and there's nothing right. wrong with them. You weren't rejected. It just, yes. the shoe didn't fit. Shoe it didn't wasn't, fit. it didn't fit. It just and wasn't the right shoe, but exactly. there's a lot of great shoes. I mean, we're in my closet. 
There's yes. a lot of great shoes. <laughs> yeah. And so the arduous There's always part, a shoe that's going to fit. Yeah. The arduous part is finding that right shoe and then having the perspective right. to understand that you weren't, you shouldn't want the one that doesn't fit just because it, it validates you right. in that moment. So right. there's going to be a punishment in the long run for trying to shove your foot in it. Yeah. <laughs> you, you will be in pain. You will be yes. in a lot of pain. Yes. Yeah. Definitely but. find the right shoe and keep yes. shopping, people. Keep shopping. Right. Yeah. So talk to me how this journey has changed you. Do you think that you've changed in the last oh, few gosh. years? I would yes. think so. Yeah. So the funny thing is like, again, my 10 plus year career has been around nonprofits and nonprofit leaders and nonprofit volunteers and all this, right. you know, but it's a different perspective when you're on the other side of that. It, it was interesting. You know, I've grown millions and millions of dollars in, in donor money, but I've never been on the other initiating part uh, of that journey where I've always built amplified off of a right. starting point. Right. And to take responsibility for that is been just really very challenging because it's hard daunting. To very, very daunting. And, you know, I still have a long way to go. You know, we're still a new organization. We're still right. budding. We're still, you know, um, and there's been more delays than I ever wanted to, because my daughter is my priority, you know, her, right. her care is, is very important to me. Um, but, but there is victory in those lessons that I can't, um, I would never want to take back, you know, even if right. it didn't like, I didn't grow into this, it didn't grow into this massive idea that just changed the face of our world. Um, I can't take back the lessons that I learned and I'm a different person because of it. Um, and how do you think you're different? Um, I, I patient, <laughs> more, <Right>. more patient. <laughs> um, yeah, I, uh, stronger in a position of taking ownership over every decision, you know, Ooh, before I could kind of like kick, kick things right. off where you had to, to, to take it, look at it and go, okay, no, I'm, I get to take ownership of this holy, even if I right. have, you know, these really powerful people around me that are speaking into it. I, I have to take ownership of it wholly for positive or for negative. It's mine Good for you. And, um, you know, before I was, I'm kind of a go with flow kind of girl. <laughs> And and that, that and that is not a typical fit for a nonprofit founder. Usually, yeah. we're kind of type A, and we're really no. high strung, and we're and we're we're whirling dervishes lots of times. Yeah, and so, uh, so I love hearing that. That's a breath of fresh air. <laughs> well, and I I, I guess <laughs> that's probably a great fit, actually. Because yeah. calm down, it's going to be fine. Yeah, take a breath, um, and you'll yeah, get it'll yeah. all be fine. Yeah, but but to some to some extent, it me meant that like if somebody made up their mind about something and said, you know, you should do this, I didn't have to necessarily think objectively on it and take ownership of it myself because I was like, hey, they're doing it, it's fine. <laughs> like, but now it's my right. idea, and you know, we're I'm it's my ball to move forward with the help. You're of, the quarterback, you know, and you gotta you gotta run across the line. Yeah, yeah. And go yeah. okay. Is this good or is this bad for the long run? You know, is this shoe really going to fit properly? And right. take ownership of that because, you know, some of great opportunities have come our way and where I had to say no to them because they were going to be no, a bad, bad fit for the long run. Right. Um, you know, even if it's donor dollars, I, I couldn't believe this, but I've turned away donor dollars because it's not been a good fit. Um, yeah, no, and I think that yeah. that's, I think that that's, that's good because 
we have to do that. We can't just, if everybody just followed the money, imagine yes. what this world would be like. Well, we already know what this world would be like. I, <laughs> think, we're I, somehow, yeah. I think we're somehow living a little bit of that, but we're not going to go into the politics yeah, of the world. Yeah. Oh, I know. But, um, but I, I do like, this think will come that, back to haunt us. Yeah, I do. That. Yeah. yeah, I do think that there, um, I do think that people need to to think about that sometimes and that's a whole other podcast that we need to, we oh, could talk yeah. about that would be a good one but tell us how we can support you where we can donate speaking of donor dollars where we can um get involved where we yeah. can follow you on instagram so um really all of my uh social media handles are going through through me for the most part right now just because i'm a mouthpiece of it so mine is pretty much anything LinkedIn to Instagram, Facebook, it's at Nicole M Y Smith. So it's my, my initial middle name okay. initials. And, um, our website is dignitydefense.org. And I also have my own podcast that's called pro dignity, no doubt. And we, it's a lot of stories that we were talking about where we get to do a long form, um, tackle some pretty, pretty heady issues, pretty deep, sometimes dark starting stories, um, that then we get to see the light at the end. It's, it's been a really wonderful, uh, experience meeting so many like powerful, encouraging people that have come through some really hard things. So I love that. I love anyone who's shining light on, mm. on things, but it, sometimes you got to get in the dark to, to get to the light. So oh, I know. And that is the human condition. I know in the West, we often try to say that uh, it is our desire through wealth and influence to escape struggle. But like you were talking about, there is no place to escape it. No matter mm -hmm. how much money you have, it will always find you in yeah. a different form. And I think a lot of the struggles we have with our youth are tied to that um, lie. And so when they start to experience them and life is just awful and hard and difficult, it's good to hear that story of someone else that's come through those same things to learn those lessons and go, okay, you know, I'm not right. alone. Like, Absolutely. Like what you're doing with look at us, right? Yes, we're, yeah, do, yeah. we're doing not it right alone. now. Well, I, we'll rock on for doing that. I love that. Thank you, Nicole, for sharing your stories. Thank you for using your gifts of storytelling to make the world better. Uh, I love what you're doing. I think it's so Aww. great. And I can't wait to see Dignity Defense just become explode and helping change all of these lives and and changing the world so thank you so awesome. much thank you thank you for listening to this week's episode of the charity matters podcast i really enjoy talking to our guest nicole smith about what it takes to start a business that truly changes people's lives i think nicole's comment about taking ownership of your, of your life and your organization was really inspiring and true to learn more about modern day heroes like Nicole, or if you'd like to reach out to us, visit us at charity-matters.com or connect with us on Instagram at Charity Matters. If you enjoyed our conversation, we would love it if you shared it with your family and friends. And please don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review. But more than that, thank you for caring, for believing in goodness, and for being a part of our movement. You are exactly what the world needs more of. And remember that together we can make a difference. One small act of kindness at a time. Charity matters. See you next time.